0: Hi, this is Jordan Shively. You may know me from Ad Hottest Singles, the very weird and possibly time-wasting Twitter account, or from this podcast. The reason I'm dropping this in today is because I'm making a book. It's going to be a weird, comedic, fictional horror book. It's going to have... Fake newspaper is going to have curses. You may never be able to put it down. It may attach to your hands. It may slowly get into your skin. You may want to eat parts of it. You may try to like tell your friends to come to a basement. And then there's just a bunch of books everywhere. Who knows what's going to happen with this book. But it's being funded right now. And you can back it at unbound.com backslash books backslash hot singles. So that's my book. Check it out if you feel like it. If not, I mean, I'm sure nothing bad will happen to your blood in the night. Yeah, that's don't worry about it. Your blood is totally safe if you don't back this book. This is Jordan Shively. This is Brock Wilbur, And you're listening to Carrying Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then try and find the silver lining to flip it into something that, while possibly not productive, will at least be positive. And we have a guest today.
1: Hi, I'm John Wiswell. I also love the void. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we uh, we should have let you know that you're doing your own intro, but like that you yeah, nailed yeah. it. You absolutely <laughs> knocked it out of the park
1: yeah there's like that micro pause of like, is he about to say the coolest things about me? Or am I going to hear dead air? <laughs> which is the coolest things about me.
2: I've actually been very excited for this episode because you're somebody whose work I really enjoy and uh, sometimes we have people on that uh, it's one of like Jordan's weird art friends and I'm like, I don't I have no idea who you are, but I bet this will be fun.
0: <laughs> it can be both. it can be both
1: Oops. <laughs> Do you want, I'll do a weird painting while we talk
2: yeah don't don't be taking that away from John. I'm not trying to do weird erasure here, i promise <laughs> i I'm just a fan.
0: <laughs> yeah, John is a very good writer friend of ours, and he says he has a weird story for us.
1: well, my weird is is one of my one of my favorite science stories uh is it, back in nineteen o eight uh before World War one. Uh, Right after the turn of the century, in the middle of the night on June 30th, something happened. Uh, People all across Europe and China witnessed what they called an indigo or a blue column of light just shooting through the sky. And suddenly an explosion erupted across the entire horizon with what they called something more brilliant than the sun. And many witnesses claimed they couldn't look directly at. Uh, It shook the earth so badly that seismic stations throughout China and Europe all the way to London recorded an earthquake. Uh, And the air pressure coming off of this thing was so intense that airwave stations, primitive airwave stations in 1908 recorded it as far away as Washington, D.C. and the Pacific Ocean.
2: Did we have earthquake monitoring stations in 1908? We
1: had, well, we had seismic stations that were trying to get uh, trying to, to to start out that kind of study.
2: Oh, that's um, fascinating. The the early days of seismic study. That's yes, that's I, so cool. And this has ruined all their baselines. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> really,
0: what, ha- what happened? So, somebody got in a lot of trouble that day because they were like, no, man, I'm telling you, it was huge. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about, Larry? That's impossible. <laughs> that feels like
2: somebody sitting there at like SETI actually getting a message from aliens and then everyone being like, all right, Greg.
1: Yeah, I... Because, like, when I think of 1908, like, my, my knee jerk is like, yeah, science didn't even exist. Like, they didn't even know that there was light yet or something. Like Were I, these
2: seismic studies in Zeppelins flying over London? That's what I see in my head.
0: <laughs> they didn't even have the Lincoln Penny yet, because that's in 1909. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What a fun and fascinating fact. Young Jordan <laughs> was quite the numinist.
1: Jordan has oh discovered my God. The, the secret is actually this was the Lincoln Penny falling to Earth.
0: so much gravity inside of it for the collectors of the future
1: so yeah this uh this this bizarre (laughs) event uh kind of lasted for days because for days afterward throughout like sweden and scotland and north china the sky was so bright that people could read their mail and uh newspapers in the dead of night uh and nobody really knew what this was because there wasn't a lot of recorded history we had we had figured out that the fossil record existed we had figured out you know, a lot of the, the root laws of physics, but this was something that in recorded history, we didn't really have a record of. What's even weirder is that uh, none of this actually happened in England or Scotland or Sweden or China. It happened in part of Russia. The epicenter, at se- I love that they knew to the minute, it was 7.17 7, a.m. local time in Siberia. The seismology station there uh, recorded a 5.0 on the Richter scale, and for dozens and dozens of miles, there was just some kind of bizarre explosion that threw people off of their feet. Uh, There's a great anecdote of a farmer who was just like, yeah, I was just smoking on the porch uh, when suddenly I got literally thrown off my rocker.
2: I love that it's just, like, the idea that all of Russia took a pratfall at the same time. (laughs) It it, it could only be funnier if, like, uh, all of America did a spit take in the same moment. (laughs) How many cults did this start, do you think? Oh, there's so many.
1: (laughs) There's so many. Because the people who love the idea of, like, the inexplicable, like, we don't have an exact explanation for the thing. Therefore, aliens and gods and gnomes at the core of the Earth, they love this.
0: Or, like... The brightening came and touched us all. <laughs> uh, Can I fill you with the light, brother?
1: <laughs> the, the thing is that, that where, where this seemed to emanate from was where almost nobody lived or very few people lived. In fact, there's argument that not a single casualty came from whatever this was, whatever this massive explosion was.
2: So it is it is funny. Like it like uh yeah, it's just everyone gets knocked down but no one no one died. So no we can all di- have yeah. a good laugh at it a hundred years later.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Was there any like evidence of like what it could have been, the like physical evidence besides a light and like a concussive
1: sound? Well well Jordan, I'm I'm glad you asked because that's where the story begins. Uh <laughs> About, about 13 years later, uh, because it was so hard to get to this region of Siberia, I and mean, this is wilderness, even the indigenous people don't inhabit a lot of it. It's, it's really rough terrain. Uh, it takes, I think it's about 13 years, it's until like maybe 1921 that the Russian government gets enough resources together and they get some people who are actually willing to try to go brave the elements to find out what happened, that mineralogist Leonid Kulik uh, travels up along the uh, Tungushka River into siberia into the uh it's uh oh, a Kras- the Krasnoyarsk uh cry region of siberia which is like a huge chunk of siberia i think it's like a quarter the size of canada um and they, he's just he's bumbling along this river that the river that itself is like half underground just trying to find signs of what happened and following whatever farmers say they might have witnessed
2: you, you've now transitioned into another uh, story about an, a weird underground river. Like, I, I like that Ooh. this one has like multiple weird elements.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, Siberia is basically haunted. Like, it's, uh, it's, it's the ghost of all the snow.
0: <laughs> this is definitely like a cosmic horror expedition starting.
1: And so they, they travel for days, and wonderfully, the local indigenous people, this, this one indigenous group called the Avenki, uh, they actually warn them to, like, not keep – don't go any further inland uh, because a pre-Christian god woke up and wrecked this place a decade ago.
0: Oh, my God. Cool, 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 cool. That's, this, is, this is fine. Yeah,
1: yeah, and to which, like, a lot of people are like, well, no, that's not the case, whereas I respond with that rules. <laughs> it's not a yes or no. It's a that rules situation for me. Uh, I, I've also <laughs>
2: never heard somebody describe it, like, as, especially in the period as a, as a pre-Christian god. They're like, this god much older. Uh, I know yeah. the the dates for your god before that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and there is this sort of, conf- a little bit of conflict between the Evenki and the Russian scientists. Not that the Evenki aren't Russian, but they aren't from the federated government. Um, and your your Russian scientists are either secularists or they're um, orthodox Christian. Uh, and so they're they're both like, well, definitely not whatever you're saying. And then they go into the wilderness. And what they see is hundreds of miles of fallen trees uh they're all pointing in the same direction they're pointing right at them oh my god um and they find that like this is again this is more than a decade later and almost nothing has regrown um there have been some disagreement about just how many square miles of fallen trees it is i've seen some resources say 500 or 600. uh there was a russian air survey in the mid 20th century that said about 830 square miles And while they didn't know specifically the shape, they knew something was off. Air surveys later showed that it wasn't really a circular explosion. It looks a little bit more like a butterfly spreading its wings. So basically Mothra is the answer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And as they've traveled deeper and deeper into raw wilderness where literally nobody lives, where there's nothing but fallen trees, they find something other than fallen trees. Trees that have been flash charred, uh, stripped of all of their bark and all of their limbs that are all pointing straight up, just like thousands of black charcoal spikes pointing at the sky. And that's all that's at the center of this place. How
0: fucking eerie is that? They must have been just like shitting themselves.
2: Yeah, at this point, yeah, it's like Satan. If a a tree spontaneously explodes in 300 miles of forest, uh, does it make a sound?
1: And they get towards the center and there's no crater. There's no place because scientists, (laughs) they know what a meteor is. They know what an asteroid is. And they know that there are impacts. There have been records of impacts before. In fact, uh, Leonid Kuldig actually came out here telling the Russian government they were going to find meteorite metal, which would be very valuable to science research. But there is no meteorite metal. There's no impact crater. They find some bogs that seem like maybe the meteorite impacted the Earth. And just dug a hole so deep or a crater so deep, and then just the water table filled it in.
2: Space bog.
1: <laughs> so these guys in the 1920s manually drain a lake in the middle of nowhere. I, <laughs> if my car breaks down in the middle of nowhere, I'm just going to die out there. But these guys are like, we could we can fix a lake. We can break a lake. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, there's the episode uh, title: Break a Lake. <laughs> we can we
0: can ruin. The Awakening Spot of a God. Yeah, we should totally fuck with this. Should
1: definitely do this.
0: Sci- scientists, since the beginning of time, something weird and creaky? I'll put my finger into it. <laughs>
2: <Nah>. <laughs> Look, Prometheus is a scientifically accurate film.
0: Uh, everyone's that is the, the first thing shit. I think every time is fucking Prometheus.
2: <laughs> I'm the,
0: I am the most, best xeno, xenobiologist of all time. I'm going to stick my finger
2: into
1: it. <laughs> I think like step three of the scientific method is take your helmet
2: off. <laughs> yeah. Touch it. Touch it. That's that's rule. Number one.
1: (laughs) First contact was going to be with a face hugger one way or another. Uh, So they drain the lakes and there's nothing in them. It's there. None of them are impact craters. There's no sign of where a meteorite landed or hit the earth. So their whole theory about how this happened goes up in smoke and they come back for decades trying to explore, look for radioactive traces, maybe isotopes, maybe scraps of metal. And they're pretty stumped as to what the largest explosion in literally recorded history came from. Uh, if this, is, again, this is the 1920s. It happened in 1908. We are decades away from the nuclear bomb being invented. This thing is not comparable to any explosion humanity has ever created. And we don't know what caused it. And that's, that's the end if this is the history channel. <laughs> uh, but the truth of the matter is that we do now have an idea of what weird thing happened. It's either a comet or a meteorite entered our atmosphere with such mass, with enough liquid, and hit with such friction and heat that it exploded in the air rather than ever touching ground, and that would explain that blue column that all those people saw uh and th- and that's just the atmosphere doing us a huge solid because really, if this huge solid that is the meteor <laughs> had hit earth uh there might not be any more Russia
0: Jesus fuck
1: the explosion instead this dispersal uh in midair um is a terrific impact, obviously, as I said, that they could see it across continents. But it's not uh, its not what it would have been if it had actually hit land
2: or water. I like that the Earth did us a, a solid. It's like, you know, you get one. Everybody gets one. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw what happened with the dinosaurs. Not again right now, but like, figure out your space program because I'm not doing it again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I have dug into the weirdo explanations. People say that we don't know what caused it. And they're sort of telling a half truth because uh, the, the truth is that it's, it's like how evolution is just a theory. The, the truth is it was either a meteorite or a comet. And we can't agree which, which is not the same as like probably aliens. Best evidence for the comet is all that, that weird luminescence that was in the night sky all around Europe and China for days, right? For days, for days uh, is probably residual ice crystals from the mass dispersal of highly ionized water that split off from this exploding comet because a comet is predominantly ice ice and debris and then it would have refrozen in the atmosphere but there just would have been such a high volume of it that you would have that for days until it finally all fell or or or, uh hit the saturation point the biggest one for the meteorite is that meteorites you know you tend to be like a chunk of an asteroid they're more solid material than room temperature liquids so you get like weird metals have been found throughout siberia ever since that definitely aren't native there some of them are isotopic uh and they get absorbed actually into trees and they've been harvested and that's that's the Best uh, evidence that it was probably a meteorite, because that material probably wouldn't be in a comet. The
2: trees there are, are mutants uh, with a, a blend of tree and heavy metal from space. All right, I, I like this. Yeah. All this is good yeah. and fine.
1: Siberian trees made of alien
2: metal.
0: And there are still those of us who want to believe that an ancient god awoke in the force of his gaze as he looked around did this.
2: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just stuck on the fact that it's full, it was full of space water, so the space bog <laughs> thing, it's actually... They, they drained a lake of, of alien water. I'm sure those scientists all died terribly.
0: Or they all went oh, man, we and th- contacted other people, and it's been slowly worming its way through.
1: I had never thought about thawing the comet out and just like, oops, we drained all the comet water.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, we drank some of it, too, and then we went home. You know, it's cool. Let the people drink the, the comet fluid. You can have a little uh, comet water as a treat.
1: So that's my creepy, that's my weird story.
0: That's a great story. You know, I learned so much today. Also, isn't there an X-Files episode named after this? You know, I bet. There's, like, Tunguska. It's like the, <laughs> it's the one where like they have like the black oil in people's eyes and stuff.
1: Perfect. I mean, it is throughout pop culture. I know there's, like, a Thomas Pension novel with a UFO cult that thinks the Tunguska event was aliens coming to Earth.
0: But no one's ever finished that novel, so we don't know how it ended. <laughs>
1: it might not be aliens. Somebody should ask him.
2: Now, now I'm just stuck on, the, uh, on, on how hard it must have been to do the X-Files before Wikipedia, as we've learned from this show. Like uh, That's where we start every week. So,
0: <laughs> Oh, cool. That was a great story. Um, I, ha- I have a carrying into the void moment for it. Lay it down.
2: You never see
0: a trauma this deep coming. You never look up in time to see the sky falling and everything you thought you could rely on ending in a flash. And yes, this ground might seem barren, blasted and scarred because it is there is no getting around that this fucking shit hurts it changes us but it does not destroy us it does not define us we take it to heart yes but that heart keeps beating even if at times it is so slow that it seems that years pass between its tolling you are still there grass and vines will again cover you Saplings will push up through your soil and reach up. And whatever it is that sought to wipe you out, well, it has come and gone. And you are still here. You are still here.
1: Yay. Yay. Yay, persistence.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yay, just being ornery enough to like spit blood up into God's face. And for God to spit back. (laughs) He did spit a meteor at us. You know, it's back and forth forever, you know. So
2: anyone been doing self-care stuff they want to share? I have uh readopted, as happens once a year, uh Pomodoro technique, uh which if you, if you don't know is is a thing based in spaghetti the cooking sauce world, but the productivity world. Yeah, spaghetti sauce. Uh, so you basically set up like a timer for like fifteen minutes or whatever works for you. And at the end, uh, you, you get a ding or an alarm, use your phone. There's stuff on the web that you can just click on or install. And uh, at the end of 15 minutes, I stand up. Sometimes I walk, but sometimes I just stand there for a minute. And uh, boy, do I I need that to uh, remain not uh, stalemated uh, on my couch. Uh, so that's uh, really improved my mental well-being uh, the last couple of weeks. So that's uh, passing that one on. And then I will eventually get bored of it forget about it and in a year be like oh i should do that again
0: that's brilliant i've started um writing down lists of things that i am like empirically good at because i have like this pro- this this <laughs> tendency to be like oh i'm not good at that i'm just like whatever opposer. but then i write down like a set of ma- mathematical proofs about things i'm actually good at and that pe- that mm-hmm. i like you know people don't pay you to be nice you know like those kind of things <laughs> and um, I sometimes reread it to like when I'm sitting at night going Ugh, I fucking suck and then I read that and be like well you know here's the numbers
1: right on uh, my little self care is that uh, about a month ago like I finished a novel and I like I went into this like quarantine thing just working and working and I love writing writing part of my like spiritual well-being or whatnot and I I finished the novel and then i could not work on anything else like i woke up out of the stupor and was like oh
2: this is the writer's block everybody was talking about oh i get it now. this motherfucker out here bragging about getting a novel done a <laughs> so oh, so look at me, you know you during quarantine Ooh. i just
0: finished a novel
2: <laughs> we as we both say as we're both so excited to read it but just need to shit on you for one second as writers that can't complete shit right now <laughs>
1: Uh, the thing is that, like, I just carried over the momentum from the pre-quarantine time. And then as soon as I finished it, though, I couldn't do anything else. Like, I couldn't. I, I, I understood what everybody else was talking about. I was living in happy denial until then. And I want to thank a friend, Alex Haste, for the self-care, which is uh, she was like, just write me one sentence of any scene of the next thing. And she knows that I am so obnoxious about writing that I couldn't do one sentence. Yeah. So now I do one sentence a day, and it's never one sentence a day. I am not close to finishing anything else, but I'm working again. That's such and a good idea. Sane. That, that one sentence, man. I'm going to fucking do uh, that. It is beautiful. And it also, it makes me feel less guilty about not finishing stuff. Because, you know, I, I, all of us are very hard on ourselves for productivity. And especially right now, everybody's like vicious to themselves about, I'm not doing enough, even though you're keeping alive in a really hard time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the one sentence approach is like, you know that you'll write more than one sentence once you get to one sentence down. But also, you're in no way obligated to write the last sentence. So there's always another sentence to write tomorrow. And that is getting me through writing. That
2: now. is so
0: great. Cool. And do y'all have anything you want to
2: signal boost? Uh, so uh, my friend Jordan is selling a book. Uh, I, I think you should get that book. Uh, what is the book about? Fuck if I know. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I adore. I, I, it's a good joke for me because for eight years, I guess I've technically been reading the book. And now, <laughs> now the book will be the book. It's it's a weird uh, transition for it, but uh, excited for that. I'd also like to plug uh, a game that I've been playing in the background throughout uh, the entire uh, lockdown because it came out right before then. Uh, and it's called Belonging. It's a little indie game. You can get it on Steam. It, it costs a couple of bucks. Uh, and it is a game where you play the servant to an old god. Uh, and at the beginning of the game, the god says, I want you to wake me up in 400 days. And you say, okay. And then the god goes to sleep. And now you have 400 days to wait to wake him up. And the game plays in real time. It will take 400 what? days. To complete it, Whoa. Uh, and so you're this you're this little servant uh, shade thing, and you walk very very slowly everywhere you go. And in your little house in these in these caverns, uh, where where the god dwells, uh, you have like a little room, and in that room there are, there are books, uh, and you can just sit down and read the entirety of like Moby Dick. You could just do that. It's in the game. You can read all of Moby Dick from start to finish and War and Peace and all these other things that you would kill 400 days with. Mm. Uh, Or you can go out exploring and trying to do things. uh, And there is this very fascinating world with all these things happening. And you can, spoiler a little bit, you can do things that, that cause the days to go faster and speed you up and so on and so forth. So you you could play it in 400 days of real time, but you can actually sort of finish it in a couple of weeks, basically, uh, depending on how much time you're sinking into it. 400 uh, but days. It is, yeah, it is. It is bleak and it is fascinating, and uh, it goes some places uh, if you give it the time. So it it feels rewarding in the way that like a great piece of art feels rewarding as you think about it further down the line, or like a really really long book that you're like there are these moments. Uh, that uh, it, it feels rewarding to me in a way that I haven't felt rewarded by art in a while. So that's uh, that's my plug. What was oh, that called again?
0: The Longing. The Longing, because I need to play this. That sounds fascinating, yeah.
2: At the very least, you need to install it now so 400 days from now you <laughs> can see the ending. That's your worst case. My whole
0: gameplay is my guy just napping for 400 days to see like what the ending is.
1: <laughs> I could plug one very nice thing. I habitually i'm behind the discovery curve and i have finally watched a movie called the, F- the station agent yay <laughs> everybody before me said was good and everybody before me was right <laughs> uh it's on hbo's streaming service uh there are very few movies like it because it's really fundamentally the stakes are will they be friends and i'm not used to especially like feature-length films exploring that you got three extremely different people um it stars peter dinklage from my alma mater alma mater of bennington college uh going out as a a guy who worked in like a a toy train station uh store and then like his boss died and gave in his will his retirement plan to him which is so straight and, this, and that retirement plan was to basically be able to move into a, a nice little place and watch trains and wow. all he wants to do is be left alone and it's at first, I'm like, Peter Dinklage is the best at I want to be alone acting. Like, not that I'm sad I'm alone, but like, yeah, I'm good. Uh,
2: he, he's the It's king a good quarantine it. film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a uh, po- a uh, website I used to write at uh, that was pop culture based. Uh, the podcast uh, tie-in was called The Station Agents. And uh, oh. yeah, if somebody got the reference, that was a pretty good sign that they belonged there. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: so good. Uh, but anyway, he he runs he runs into two people, and they're extreme. All three of them are extremely different, and it's a wonderful movie about friendship. The ending feels weird only because no other movie would just end there. But it's so like, fifteen minutes later, I'm like, oh my god, it's perfect. <laughs> I never even thought about it, but I was like, right, warm feels this is the point. Roll credits, beautiful.
0: Where can we find more of your work? Or do you have anything new you want to talk about?
1: I just published an essay about. Uh, how contrivance affects horror plotting uh in diabolical plots that one is called the lodge and seven contrivances
2: how contrivance oh, man, affects horror i plot. have to read this it's this motherfucker out here bragging about doing essays in quarantine because <laughs> like i
1: t- to be clear i am not opposed to contrivance i think contrivance seriously helps horror but you need to use it in certain ways. And the lodge is like a case study in every kind of contrivance you can put into a movie.
2: Yeah. It wasn't, it, as, as soon it, as you said it was about the lodge, I knew that I was going to agree with you. It wasn't good. <laughs> no,
0: no, it wasn't. And the trailer sold it so hard. Like it, did, it was going to be. The trailer
2: be... was the loudest trailer I've ever heard in a theater. It was so scary and it shook the chairs in the theater. I was in, I was like, Whoa. they need to turn that down. The The fright on that. It was a little much. <laughs>
1: Where is that going to be? The essay is going to be at Diabolical Plots. And I also just had a short story come out in Diabolical Plots uh, called Open House on Haunted Hill. It is about a haunted house. It is about the loneliest haunted house in the world that just wants somebody to buy it and move it.
2: Oh, my God. Uh, This motherfucker out here bragging about doing short stories.
1: (laughs) John, I I love your brain, man.
2: You
0: have such good stories.
2: (laughs) Thank you, Jordan. I, you are, I you are actually better weird. at this show than either of us are. Thank you for being here today. Oh, bless you.
0: So this is going to become the regular John hosts us show. So
2: As, as the two of us slowly fade away. and then, yeah.
1: We need to rekindle the flame. I would be happy to come back on if you ever uh, have a need for a, a third weird. Anytime
0: you have a weird story, John, please come back.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Um, Do you you have a website where people can
1: find you? Best places to find me are Twitter. I'm literally just at Wiswell. My last name, W-I-S-W-E-L-L. Or uh, I have old school internet blog at johnwiswell.blogspot. Hell yeah.
2: (laughs) Yes. Keeping it alive.
1: I think some weird lawyer owns johnwiswell.com, so don't go there. What's
2: your Zenga? (laughs)
0: Um, You know I had one,
2: Brock. Yes, as did I. My dad read it. Sh- Sh-
0: shadows, shadows of thought. It was all poetry. And <laughs> <laughs> my banner was like some broody black and white, like, um, cemetery sculptures with a with a pencil on top. I like that
2: you love dunking Sweet. on who you were as a kid, but you're also still exactly that person. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you, can find,
1: you can find me at Sephiroth420 at Geocities.com. <laughs>
0: Well, on that note, this was a great episode, and we'll see you next time in the void. And remember, until then, keep your hearts dark and true, and your teeth sharpened many. Bye. Thank you. Carrying of the voice record it in a temple, covered in dust. Oh no, it's that dream again.
1: Yep, that one.